Welcome back to episode 12 of the Diamond Diary. You're here with James Diamond and today's guest is Alex Butchie from AB Physiology. Me and Alex have known each other for almost almost 10 years, 10 or 9 years this year, 9 or 10 years this year, um, back from the old, the old, uh, what was that original gym name? Body Dynamics CrossFit. Dynamics CrossFit. And yeah, then the OG. CrossFit. Yeah, and then Trent dropped the CrossFit back in, here yeah, in the middle of Varsity Lakes. Here and now it's like thrive, thriving SNC, physiology, Jeez. physiotherapy, group training, SNC, like he's doing... Him and the team we've got at BD are doing really, really good stuff. Trent is just like... The man. Oh, I just, like, I kind of want him to be like my brother, mm. you know? Like, I just want him to be around me more. Mm. So, he's, but he's obviously got his, got his child now. He's little a little tot. That's it. Um, so, what, what do you do at AB Physiology? What's, so what is the prerogative of AB Physiology? The main through line, because when I was building my website, I was trying to figure out what I'd do. It's really, really hard to explain what I do because it's so broad. So I spent a lot of time sitting down and I was like, I need something that like summarizes it really quickly. And for me, it's improving quality of life yep. through helping you get a better understanding of your own physiology. Like I always say to people, like whatever you get out of the sessions you did, I just taught it to you, whether it's like roll and release to make your shoulder feel better. The freedom you feel in your shoulders or your hips or your knees that you get from a session, you did. Yeah. I didn't have my hands on you very much. You figured out what to do and what it feels like and you learn how to handle your own shit. Yeah. Right? Because everyone now seems to be putting more and more emphasis on like the outside changing and you need to change yourself. Yeah. So like if you, if you get manual therapy all the time, like someone's massaging your back because you get a sore back all the time and you've been getting massages every week for 18 months and your back's not getting better, uh, the massages make you feel good, yes, but you aren't solving the underlying issue. Mm. I try and sift through that to figure out like the root of the problem. And once we figure out the root of a problem, physical, stress-related, whatever it is, once we kind of figure out the core, which can take time, then we can start to plan a really clear path on the way out. Yeah. But the path is never a straight line. Yeah. Like rehab is like up and down. Physical, emotional rehab, like you have good days, you have bad days. But as long as the trend is upwards or you see yourself progressing forwards, that's the goal. But the scariest thing is you don't know where to start. And if you get caught up in the medical system, the traditional one, you go to your GP, they send you off, say, for mental health. It's like a psychologist and a, and a drug. If it's the physical route, it's like a physio or scans or surgery. But you often go to these appointments and you don't leave. You leave with more questions than answers. Mm. And you leave almost with more fear and anxiety than when you got there. Because they're like, oh, cool, you've got a bulging disc in your neck. Yeah. We'll send you for, oh, you know, you get scanned. So you've got a bulging de um, disc in your neck. You can now, well, do you want to go see a surgeon? And you're like, holy shit, I need surgery. It's yeah, like, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going to see a surgeon in six weeks. And then you're going to be anxious for the six weeks being like, if I move my neck wrongly, am I going to die? Am I going to be paraplegic? Am I going to be yeah. quadriplegic? So like happened to one of the boys at, at combat, hurt his neck. I saw him looking a bit down when I was leaving in the car. I stopped, we had a little chat and he messaged me like straight away being like, thank you so much, man. I was so nervous and worried. But that five-minute conversation that I had out my car window with this person 
helped them stay calm. They went and got their scans. They messaged me straight away and said what was wrong. And I'm like, that's cool, bro. Look, go and see Yoel Nukem at, at um, see him first at combat. Let him know what he goes. He's a physiotherapist. He's skilled. Like, let him have a look. And then once he's kind of handled the acute stuff, I'll help with the longer term stuff and the mental health stuff around rebuilding the confidence in your neck. Mm. Mm. It's about building confidence when chronic pain or serious problems or serious trauma happens, hence all the PTSD work I did for so long, you need to start to build confidence around your ability to handle the situation. Yeah. Whether it's your sore neck or being in a crowded place. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. only way you get better is by voluntarily and gradually exposing yourself to the thing that makes you the most scared or nervous. Mm. But the really important things in that is it's got to be gradual, which is always less than you think. Yeah, yeah. Almost always, especially yeah. if you're driven and motivated, mm. it's always less than you think. Yeah. It has to be voluntary in the sense that you have to want to do it. Yeah. And what that exposure looks like, really different to say what you think that exposure is. It's not just going and looking at the belly of the beast straight away and being like, whoa, because then it's going to push you back out again and do more harm than good. Yeah. So it's got to be the right step. And that's where I come in and be like, all right, here's how we're going to start. That's, it's, it's a very interesting point on the, on the where to start. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of like it ain't weak to speak movements and things like that that say with mental health are to get you from having a problem to then starting, right? Like phys physically, a lot of people have injuries and are like, no, I'm too scared to go get a scan because I'm like, whoa, what if it's really, really, really bad? So there's like a delicate, delicate balance of, of trying to find, I guess, the confidence to, to dive into a problem. Because so, so many people like nowadays in 2020 live with chronic anxiety, chronic pain, daily pain, daily anxiety. So I guess that's kind of a good segue into the one question I wanted to ask you is, is, is how do you, through what you do, de help your clients decrease anxiety? I first help them understand what anxiety is and it's this fear of the unknown, yeah. right? Which is heaps. <laughs> but the thing is that like, we used to have religions and spirituality that would plug in the unknown gaps. Yeah. Right. That's what okay. they did. They gave us yeah. a storyline or a faith or a belief that like, oh, these parts we don't know in the story of our lives, we fill in with like, Jesus has got our back. Mm. Yeah. Muhammad's got my back. Yeah. Like, and then when we look at the Buddhist and Hindu philosophies around religion, their whole idea is essentially that God's within us. Yeah. If you, and it's your higher self is God. So the best version of yourself is God, right? So there's okay. Atman and Brahman, like yeah, the yeah. self and the higher self, I think. I could get that wrong. But those religious, spirituality, faith-based ideas were like this, is like a, the way I describe it is like a key. You have this key in the back of your mind and when, what fits in that key is religion and, and the stories. Yeah. But then that that key slot can also be filled with like ideology and belief systems that are a bit more detrimental. And so that, that's what 2021 is turning into because it's this time of all feelings, yeah, no yeah, facts, yeah, right? Yeah. So then their feelings start to drive the bus. And the thing is feelings can be manipulated and the more malnourished, tired, stressed out, lonely, 
intelligent or stupid you are, mm. you have different susceptibilities to your feelings and emotions being manipulated by outside people or groups or the TV or the news. And, but at the same time, you can also use your feelings to manipulate others. Yeah. And in this world of it ain't weak to speak and this awareness of mental health, people, especially kids, will use this to their advantage. So I talk to teachers and I'm trying to get into schools to talk about stress management to kids. Yeah. And with this increasing awareness of mental health, I've got parents saying, you know, my 16-year-old daughter's getting ready for a rugby league game and she's really nervous and anxious and ask me if because she feels this way, does she have a mental health problem? Mm. It's an overcorrection. Yeah. It's this massive, massive overcorrection. But at the same time, I work with a, a really, really intelligent, autistic 12-year-old kid who spends 16 hours a day on screens but he w reads history. Mm. He told his dad to invest in Bitcoin when he was six. <laughs> and he teases him about it now. And he mocks him about it now. I don't know that he's 12. <laughs> and when Bitcoin was soaring recently, I, he came in for a session and I was like, how much shit are you giving your dad? And he's like, so much shit. Six years ago when he was six, right? Yeah, yeah, so he's, yeah. he's really smart. And he kind of saw the way people are being teached and the way education is being taught. And he's like, I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> You're not entirely wrong, yeah, right? Yeah, and that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to help this kid. It's been really challenging, but we're starting to get some breakthroughs now, but it's taken me six months and like wanting to strangle this child more times than one because he's so rude, but he manipulates his feelings. So when I push him to try harder on the rowing machine, I'm like, you've got to get to this certain number, then he can get off. And he got really upset because it required him actually trying. Yeah. Like he's morbidly obese and he has the build of a 35-year-old like degenerate and he's 12. Because yeah. he never does anything but sit down. Yeah. For his entire life, he sat down and ate dino nuggets because that's all he'll eat. Can't blame them. They're pretty good. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> but he manipulates his films. So he goes, you're bullying me. And I was like, you're not at school, bro. That ain't yeah, going to work here. Yeah, okay. Like, cause, and then another teacher I know says like they have these like 15-minute timeout cards yep. if they're feeling anxious. But yeah. they'll walk up to the teacher with a smile on their face and be like, yeah. I feel anxious, yeah. I need to go sit outside. And they can go and play on their phone, not feeling anxious. Kids are just smart and they'll manipulate the system. Kids are little fuckers. They're evil little critters, bro. They're like chickens. Yeah. A kid will be like, oh, mental health. Oh, I get 15 minutes off if I get mental health. Go up to the teacher and be like, I'm going to kill myself. I've got mental health. I'm yeah. anxious right now, miss. Yeah. And they're smirking yeah. while they yeah. say it because yeah. the teachers are powerless. Because if you question them on that, you're a pro you're the like you are in trouble now you've questioned this person's feelings despite the fact that like objectively when they're smirking at you while they do it you can't call them on it so feelings can be manipulated or used to manipulate others yeah so yeah. if we kind of start to pull things back to this anxiety stress fear of the unknown and understand that awareness is amazing yeah but what you do with your awareness makes a difference if you manipulate your awareness to manipulate your environment to make your life as cushy as possible, you end up with big, big problems. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But if you also allow your feelings to be manipulated by the thoughts of others, so if you're deeply entrenched in what people who you don't know and don't care about think about you, you're making yourself worried for no reason. You should care about what your friends and family think about you. And that's one thing I love about you. Because I tell everyone this, I'm like, everyone's like, that guy's a bit weird, hey? I'm like, he's also one of the best people you'll ever meet because, like, he is just himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, yeah, and it's yeah. such a rare thing to find someone who may have flaws, but 
wholeheartedly embraces them and sends you semi-nerds about it all the time, right? And that's what I love about you is because I'm like, you have kept the same energy since oh, I met you. Yeah. So have I. Undeniably, undeniably, unapologetically yourself. But that's the best though. Like, that's why I'm like, I'll have any time for you because yeah. you're the man because I know exactly who I'm dealing with. I, I, struggled with, I struggled with trying to adapt and mold my personality through uni for different, like, you know, I came from small town in New Zealand or, or homeschooled in Hong Kong to like Bond where everybody was cool. And I tried to, you know, become friends with everybody. And I realized that if I then tried to be cool for these people, then those people fucking hated me. And then if I tried to be for those, cool for those people, then those people started to fucking hate me. So I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna be myself. <laughs> But then when you're just you, you realize that like, oh, the people hanging around me just like me for who I am. So yeah. you haven't got to keep up a game or you haven't got to keep yeah. up a veneer and everything's all superficial and fake. And what I think is really funny because I'm thinking about this presentation I'm going to say to students and I'm going to start getting it around, right? Yeah. When I was growing up, if someone was an attention seeker, they'd be mocked for it. It was like a negative. Yeah. Oh, they're just being an attention, like, you know, ignore that person they're just being an attention seeker. Yeah. Now they're called influencers, yeah. and it's like probably a billion dollar industry yeah. of like, look at me, look yeah. at me, look yeah. at me, right? Yeah. And like, at the same time, really positive things come from that. But at the same time, like what message are we sending where like, it doesn't matter if you're like one of the Paul brothers and you have this huge attention span for like being the heel, yeah. right? Yeah. Or if you're like making positive impact in the world, they just see like, oh, attention's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you meet these influencers who have like, let's say like up hundreds of thousands of followers, in social settings, they're often quite uncomfortable. When they have actual eyes on them, they seem really shy and almost like, stop looking at me. Mm. But they've cultivated the whole appearance and everything about them is eye catching. They yeah. have the female version or the male version yeah. of the influencer stereotype, it's all about like, look at me. Yeah. Then when they're in a big public setting sometimes, say with, but not around other influencers. If they're around like just your average Joe Blow, they just seem very awkward. We had the, I had this conversation on episode 11 with Brandon. He's, he is a social media influencer and, and feeding into that look at me, look at me attitude, ru ru like not ruined him, but significantly affected him where he changed and became so much more healthier and happier when he was like, I'm just gonna be me and confident in me and you guys can look, you know, like, and I'll just show me. I'm not going to look at what you say and then become who you are saying to be, you know? When I'm talking to clients that have like intense social anxiety, I kind of, I try to explain to them this idea that there's like a million of you. And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, every person who's met you or glanced at you in their mind would have created a version of you, different definitions, like yeah. in terms of like higher def, lower def versions of you, but they've all got one. Yeah. Even your closest friends would have different versions in their mind of who you are in subtlety, subtle details, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only person that you have to go to sleep with at night is who you think you are. Yeah. And if you're being disingenuous to who you are, you have to carry that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're doing it to make other people happy who you don't know, who don't impact your life in any way, I find that horribly inefficient. And I'm all about efficiency. So with that being said, the best way to manage stress and anxiety that I've seen time and time again is managing your autonomic nervous system and increasing your carbon dioxide tolerance. Okay. 
So Which means? <laughs> autonomic nervous system is sympathetic, parasympathetic. Yeah. Right? Stress, relax. Yeah. Fight, flight, freeze. Rest, digest, reproduce. Okay. They're that yin and yang, right? They're real conceptual, but they're also physiologically measurable. Yeah. So the sympathetic things are like a lion chasing you or terrible emails or your girl's mad at you, right? Mm -hmm. These things all create like a fight, flight or freeze situation. And it's hard to control that stress coming in. Yeah. But what you can do is manage how you respond and react and buffer it. Okay. And the way you buffer sympathetic stress is by increasing parasympathetic tone. Okay. So if there's this huge differential, like your sympathetic's up here and your parasympathetic tone's real low, you're strung out, you're freaking out. As you calm your nervous system through various breathing exercises, for example, you increase this parasympathetic tone while simultaneously decreasing the sympathetic stimulus response and this gap comes closer and closer. So when we're chilling on the couch watching Netflix, where we should be ideally mad parasympathetic rest and digest, real low sympathetic because there's nothing really coming in. Yeah. But if we're watching like serial killer documentaries and we're not breathing because we're really entrenched in it, we're almost kind of doing negative coming up again yeah, right yeah, yeah. so it's all about like being aware of the situation so when i'm doing jujitsu and i'm fighting people it's all about trying to control and stay calm and buffer that sympathetic fight that's happening by keeping my breath particularly my exhales under control because exhales bring us down inhales bring us up so every time you take a breath in your heart will increase by like two to five beats depending on how healthy you are and as you exhale, it will drop two to five beats. Okay, okay. It's and not consistent. And is that does that lead into the nitric oxide or carbon? Carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide tolerance dioxide. is what we is is a bit different. So the sympathetic, the nervous system regulation ties into chronic pain management, stress management, everything. The more you can, because it's like a direct line to your mind. Yeah. Like your autonomic nervous system runs through like your vagal nerve and it's like a highway to your brain. And it's called autonomic because it's supposed to be automatic, but we can tap into it. Yeah. So if we like, if I can, I can drop my heart rate 25 beats in one breath. Oh wow. So I'll sit down with clients often in an initial and I'll put an SPO2 monitor on. It depends where I'm at in the day if I've finished training and how responsive my nervous system is, how yeah. rested I am. I'll put it on and it'll say, like, say I've just walked up the stairs, it'll say 76 and I'll go. And I'll do a super slow exhale for maybe 10 to 15 seconds, really focusing on feeling my heart slow down. And I've taken it from 76 to 47 in a breath. Yeah. Easy to do seated in an office, yeah. hard to do when someone's trying to strangle you or dislocate yeah, your yeah. heel, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, a, it's an example of what's possible. Yeah. Carbon dioxide tolerance, breath holds. Yeah. Or slow breathing. Okay. Right? So when you hold your breath, like you dive underwater, what do you think's making you think, fuck, breathe? Running out of oxygen. Right. No. No, that's wrong. Yes. So for example, if you hold your breath for a minute, your oxygen might drop 2%. Okay. But okay. after that minute, you're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. <coughs> I'm almost out of breath. I almost ran out of oxygen. And I'm like, no, 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 you went 2%. That's kind of like getting petrol and getting five kilometers down the road and your petrol tank dropping 2% and then you doing a screeching U-turn, rushing back to a service station to get more petrol. Uh, 
Okay. It's your carbon dioxide that's coming up. Yeah, okay. And our carbon dioxide tolerance, self-explanatory, how much can you tolerate before the alarm bells start to ring? Yeah, okay. How much can that build before you start freaking out? Before like your body starts ringing these alarm bells in your mind, right? Or physical sensations. So the lower your CO2 tolerance, the more susceptible you are to stress and anxiety. Mm. The higher your CO2 tolerance, the more capable you are to keep composed and clear-minded stress while stress is being produced. So when we exercise, our muscles create carbon dioxide as a byproduct of energy production. Okay. That's why your legs burn. Yeah. Carbon dioxide and hydrogen. Yeah. So they'll get to a certain point. They'll get to a certain point and we will... We'll get to a certain point and then things will start to freak out. Yeah. Right? So by practicing really slow breaths or practicing breath holds and learning how to stay calm while your mind starts to tell you you're going to die, you're running out of air quickly breathe or your fingers start to tingle or you feel your heart rate in your chest and you start analyzing this stuff instead of just sitting there and feeling what it feels like for this for these sensations to build and relax build and it comes in like waves right but the biggest relaxation and drops come after the most intense sensation so if you do like a um a bus streaker breathing exercise so if you do 30 breaths going <laughs> If you do 30 of those efficiently, like your stomach's pulsing, your shoulders aren't lifting, and then inhale, then hold your breath, these sensations start to build, you get lightheaded, the world starts to spin, but your eyes are closed, and if you stay calm, it will build, 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 and then just drop away, and you'll just feel warm, you'll feel calm, you'll feel this overwhelming sense of calm, but you haven't taken a breath, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's really, really hard to say, even breathe yourself to that point, you're almost breathing yourself into a bit of a panic state and then just sitting with it and watching it fall away. Yeah. Accepting it, not trying to push in, uh, well, pushing into it, not pushing away from yeah, it. Yeah, leaning into the discomfort, becoming mm. familiar with the unfamiliar. And when you're holding your breath, laying on the floor or laying in bed or sitting on the ground, all you gotta do is breathe and you're okay. So if you can keep calm and be like, I'm gonna hold my breath for 10 more, a count of 10. So you might, just do some slow breaths and then inhale and hold or exhale and hold and hold as long as you can. And then when you're like, oh my God, now I've got to breathe, slowly count down from 10, trying to relax for every count and then take the slowest, smoothest breath in afterwards. Because how you come out of a breath hold and how you come out of, say, a long stretch kind of rewrite how our mind sees it. So if you've sat in a long yin yoga pose for five minutes, so you've sat in pigeon stretch for five minutes and the back of your hips going crazy, how you come out of that position is really important. If you just fall out of it and you're like, oh fuck, thank God, that's over. Your body's like, sweet, forget everything that just happened, right? But if you gently, like with your own muscular control, pull yourself out of that compromised position, and settle back in, your body's like, we can go all the way to here, we can sit there, and we can come all the way back mm. with control and calm ourselves. If we hold our breath to the point of panic, and instead of going, <laughs> fuck, so can come that was shit, yeah, instead yeah, yeah. you stay calm, you feel like your whole body starts to tingle, like you feel like someone's pressing your chest or crushing your face, and then when you've reached the very bottom of your breath hold, you're like, 
the sensations might build some more while you're breathing your way out of it. You're like, I'm a faint. Oh my God, my vision's going. And if you just keep going, push through. Stay calm, breathe. Know that you're breathing and know that this faint lightheadedness that I'm going to pass out is a trick. Yeah. Because the only reason we faint or pass out or black out is because our body thinks that there's something going wrong with our brain's blood flow and it needs to knock us out to get us on the floor Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, yeah. the things are bleeding out. Mm. And if our brain loses blood, it, the lights yeah, go off, yeah, they yeah. don't come back on. Yeah, yeah. So our body's like, quick, fall over, be flat, because yeah. then gravity's gonna at least keep some blood in your brain. Yeah. But if you've just been doing this voluntarily and you're still breathing, despite the world caving in on you, it will build like a crescendo of music. It will build, yeah, build, yeah, build, yeah, build, yeah. build to this intenseness. <sighs> then it falls away and you're like, oh, I'm sweet. Your heart slowed down. And like, I do this in between rounds. I did a 10 minute round with one of the black belts at combat yesterday and went at him, <laughs> right? And then the round ended and I sat on my knees and I did five big breaths. <sighs> in and out through my mouth. My vision started going. I'm like, I'm cool. Then I went to nose in, mouth out. <sighs> really big, really slow, controlled, and then I started to calm down. Then I got to... And I was clear again, that takes 90 seconds. And I've seen that drop someone's heart rate from 161 to 81 in 90 seconds, and they have an internal defib Mm. because their heart exploded when they were 27 and Mm. they died on the side of the road. And a lady found them, resussed them, and he's thriving now, crushing it at life, this person. And... I help him contextualize what goes on with his heart because he had a heart attack running. Yeah. So for a long time, when his heart mm, rate would come up, he'd freak out about anxiety it. would yeah, come. Yeah, it was yeah. like, you actually died last yeah, time yeah, this yeah, happened. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like your own. It's like, not a fear of the unknown. It's anxieties are different, one. right? Yeah, so yeah, like, once yeah. we get anxieties about the thoughts of others, and they're very real to them. Yeah. But this dude gets anxious about dying because his body's like high heart rate, high blood pressure, died. Yeah. So we had a lot of time undoing that. Yeah. There's a lot to it, eh? It's so very much interesting. To it.